One of my heroes of the Christian faith is a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon was a pastor and preacher in the uh, mid to late 1800s. He died in 1892. And some of his writings are just unbelievably prolific and profound. Uh, But what many don't understand and know about Charles Haddon Spurgeon is he suffered in this life greatly. He suffered greatly. He uh, personally went through and endured smallpox, gout, rheumatism, and he had a disease called Bright's disease, which is a disease of the kidneys. Uh, The third of his last 20 years in ministry he spent in bed, and he ministered to a church that was 10,000 or more. It was kind of unheard of during that day. Uh, He had an international preaching ministry. All of his sermons were published and sent all over. And on top of ministering to a church that size and dealing with personal pain, he also uh, had a wife, uh, Susanna, who was bedridden for many decades. And people said that Charles Haddon Spurgeon took care of his wife in ways that would bring tears to your eyes. He placed her above all the ministry that he did on top of what he did. Not only did he live that kind of life, but he also, uh, if you dive into the writings, you'll find that he suffered from an unbearable depression, debilitating at times. And he talked about how there was a specific incident that happened in his ministry when he was 22 years old. He was preaching in a a place that held 10,000 people. 10,000 people in England came out to hear him preach. And uh, as people were coming in and the place was full, he began to preach. And about 10 minutes into his sermon, someone yelled, fire. But there was no fire. Someone did this just to cause a ruckus and a stampede occurred and seven people died. And he said he never, ever got over that. He never healed from that. In fact, he said this, that horrifying incident took me to the near burning furnace of insanity. He carried that. As a pastor over the years, I've heard modern day versions of that phrase time and time again. And today, this Sunday, as we celebrate Jesus coming to earth, Jesus coming in the form of a human, God coming in the form of a human, I want to focus on the fact that God doesn't just come And we don't just celebrate him coming into the neat, churchy, white steeple, all put together places. But he comes to the desperate, difficult, hurting places as well. I want to address something that the church needs to talk about, that we need to bring about. And that's the mental and emotional anguish that can plague us as we walk through this life as the people of God. Grief and loss. Those like Spurgeon who were down and depressed and despairing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote a book called uh, Lectures to My Students where he uh, wrote this to up-and-coming pastors who would come generations after him. And one of the uh, chapters in this book is called How to Preach When Depressed. And I know that I personally, when I've walked through Seasons of brokenheartedness have found great comfort in his writings. It's not easy to be a pastor in seasons of brokenheartedness, just like it's not easy to be a person 
in seasons of brokenheartedness. We just finished a series called The Glorious Gospel. We talked about how Jesus Christ came and he saves us and he keeps us and he redeems us so that we can spend eternity with God forever in heaven. And that's a glorious thing that the church is founded on. But I want to say that the gospel saves us spiritually, but the gospel can also meet us in our darkest hour in this life and hold us and keep us. Even when we don't feel like it, it can do this. It won't always take away all the pain. Did you hear me with that? It won't always take away all the pain, but it can be a fortress we can run to when the storms of life rage. And this morning we're kicking off an Advent series called This is Love, where we're remembering what God did in sending his son Jesus to earth And we want to celebrate God coming, and I want to focus this morning about how Jesus enters into the difficult places of our lives, and I want to do that by sharing two facts with you from Scripture. Two facts from the Scripture. The first fact is this. Number one, that grief and heartache are Christian experiences. Grief and heartache our Christian experiences. Sometimes we paint this picture that the Christian life is this one of just pure happiness all the time and there's no heartache. And when we jump into this grief and heartache, something bad happened or something is wrong with us Christian-wise and we have to hop back over into this place. And I just want to say that that's a false dichotomy that grief and heartache are part of the Christian experience. There's a myth out there and the myth says that if I follow Jesus, all my pain will go away. If I follow Jesus the right way, then I won't experience heartache, depression, anxiety, and things like that in this life. And that is a lie. It's a myth. Actually, it's probably more than likely you'll experience more difficulties in this life as a follower of Jesus than not. And over the years as a pastor, people have expressed to me time and time again, they've said, Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with God. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm serving in the church. I'm living out my faith but I'm still full of anxiety. I'm still full of depression. I'm still full of broken heartedness and fill in the blank. Following Jesus does not cure us from depression and anxiety in and of itself. Following Jesus doesn't cure us or shelter us from heartache or mental and emotional anguish or mental illness. And when we're experiencing those things, the call then for the follower of Jesus is to still follow Jesus, but we follow him while we are in the midst of the pain. Christians experience grief, depression, anxiety, and mental illness. In fact, we see people very, very close to God. People like Elijah, people like John the Baptist, people like Jeremiah, people like David, And I was, people like the Apostle Paul, people like Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate, who have experienced emotional, mental anguish, and people throughout church history as well. A word about mental illness, the term is very, very broad. There's tons and tons of variation. There's short term, there's long term, there's severe, there's mild, there's seasonal, there's all these different things. I'm kind of keeping it as a broad term encompassing all that, including grief and loss. Some believers think that 
all mental illness is demonic. And that's not true. The brain is very complex. God created us in complex ways and we live in a fallen, broken world that affects us. And I want to say that receiving treatment for these types of things, mental illness and emotional anguish and these types of things, treatment or medication is not a lack of faith. Seeking treatment in those things can be as necessary as a diabetic taking insulin. And there's nothing sinful about receiving treatment and medication under a doctor's order. Of course, we pray for healing to happen. But not all, de- demonic, uh, not all mental illness is demonic in itself. A believer in Christ cannot be possessed by a demon. There can be oppressed and oppression by a demon, but a believer cannot be possessed by a demon. And sometimes mental illness, there's an element of demonic oppression, but sometimes there's not. And to label it all that is a mistake that we have done in the past as a church and we have to be careful. Because sometimes it is simply a chemical imbalance. Or sometimes it is a normal reaction to a very horrible, abnormal experience in the cases of trauma or PTSD. And those things need to be addressed by prayer, obviously, but also through treatment and possibly medication. And I'm speaking way out of my league here. I'm not a doctor or a counselor or a therapist, but I'll just be honest, I am tired of well-intentioned people believing the wrong things about how God approaches mental illness and heartache. And the truth is this. A Christian can be in a great place spiritually, connected to Jesus, praying, reading their Bible, can be in a great place spiritually and not in a great place mentally and emotionally. And that is more common than we think in terms of the Christian walk. Because people like the Apostle Paul and Jesus when his life on earth were in that place. And we see that in these pages time and time again. And the church needs to recognize this and lovingly, prayerfully support those who are journeying through difficult times. The Apostle Paul was in one of these difficult journeys. He was on house arrest, and he wrote a letter to this church that was supporting him and helping him in Philippi. And the church sent a person to encourage him named Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus came and met with Paul and encouraged him, brought him gifts, and then... Paul's writing this church and telling them that when Epaphroditus came, he became really, really sick. In fact, I thought he was going to die. And he writes this. He says, indeed, he was so sick, he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think Paul knew that one day Epaphroditus will be free from his uh, illness and that there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering when we get to heaven. Of course he knew that. But what Paul is doing here is he's recognizing that when we experience loss, or in this case, potential loss, there is true sorrow. There is true sorrow. Paul is saying that grief and heartache 
are real, even to Christian people who have eternal hope. See, acknowledging that grief and heartache and mental illness and these things are real doesn't diminish our eternal hope. He's acknowledging they exist even though the hope exists. Let's talk about grief a little bit. Grief is especially hard because something has been lost that will never be the same again in this life until we see Christ. Some God-given gift that we have here is gone. And that creates a loss. And there's all sorts of kinds of griefs and losses. There's a loss of a loved one, the loss of innocence, the loss of a dream, the loss of a friendship, the loss of a job, loss of a relationship. In fact, most heartaches are linked to a grief in somehow. But grief is this experience where something has been lost. And it's not separate from the Christian life. It's built into it. There's a great theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived during the time of World War II and uh, was martyred for standing for Christ in the midst of that time. And he wrote this about the loss of a loved one. He said, there is nothing that can replace the absence of someone dear to us, and one should not even attempt to do so. One must simply hold out and hold on to God and endure it. At first, that sounds hard, but at the same time, it's also a great comfort. For to the extent the emptiness truly remains unfulfilled, one remains connected to that other person through it. It's wrong to say that God fills the emptiness. God in no way fills it, but much more leaves it precisely unfilled, thus helping us to preserve, even in pain, the relationship we had as he carries us through it. See, sometimes when it comes to grief and loss, it doesn't go away and you get over it. You'll become whole again and be able to function in life, but life won't be the same. C.S. Lewis talked about it as like an amputation. He said, the pain is gone, but I wake up every day knowing I don't have a leg. And you walk through and you continue on. Grief and heartache are part of the Christian experience, but God meets us in those places. And the Bible speaks plainly that one day all of our heartaches, all of our griefs, all of our losses will be redeemed by a far greater joy that we will experience when we see God face to face. But church, we can't hide behind that or can't whitewash the pain away with that because it hurts. And God is the type of God who hurts with us. Even in the midst of that, we cling to God when it hurts. Jesus himself was well aware of the fact that one day when we die and we go to heaven with him, we will be in a place where we'll experience no more suffering, no more pain, no more heartache, no more sadness. He knew that. And yet, when he lived his life on earth, he walked through pain. Jesus wept and grieved the loss of his friend Lazarus, even though he knew he would be risen from the dead and he knew one day he would experience eternal joy and happiness in heaven, he still took the time to weep and to grieve. Jesus cried over the heart condition of Jerusalem when he saw people who were running away from God instead of to God. It broke his heart. He had this anguish, this brokenheartedness, and he grieved. Jesus cried as he was on the cross, as he endured 
physical, emotional torture. And Jesus was before the cross in this garden at one point where he begged God to change his plans because he didn't know because of the anxiety he was going through if he could actually go through with it. These are the actions of a human soul in anguish, a God-human in anguish. Jesus, yet without sin, experienced all this. See, and sometimes people, when they go through mental and emotional anguish, I see this weird, false teaching of Christian karma. that They said, because I'm going through this means I must have did something wrong, and God is punishing me, and nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless, yet walked through deep, deep heartache and grief. In fact, long before he even showed up on earth in the form of a human, it was prophesied thousands of years before in Isaiah, and they said this, that he was despised and rejected by man. They called him the man of suffering, who knew what sickness was. Another translation calls him the man of sorrows. This is your Savior, church. He was a man of sorrows who experienced anguish emotionally, mentally, physically. And I want to show you another place where we can see grief and heartache, our Christian experiences. If you have a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. To get to 2 Corinthians, if you're new to the Bible, go through the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is there. I'm going to be looking at chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing this. And I want to focus on verses 3 to 11. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope is for you firm, because we know that you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. There's going to be pain, but you're going to share in this ultimate comfort that will come, but this comfort can come in the here and now. And now look at how real he gets in verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction, of our suffering that took place while in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. This is the Apostle Paul. Completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. That's physical, emotional, mental. So that we even despaired life itself. He's saying, it hurt so bad I wanted to die. Indeed, we felt we received the sentence of death so that we would not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We can find an anchor in the midst of pain, is what he's saying. He has delivered us from such a terrible death and will deliver us. 
deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. While you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Paul was saying in this life, heartache and grief are part of the Christian experience, not separate from it. There's this place in Christianity and following Jesus where pain and heartache and joy are mingled together, and that's the reality of where we live. There was a worship leader named Brian Dorcason whose son was born with a very rare genetic disease called Fragile X Syndrome. And he wrote a book about the pain he and his wife and family endured in caring for their son. And he wrote this. He said, I used to think people were most blessed by our great victories. But now I know differently. People are just longing to hear others speak about how they walked through their deepest valleys. This world lifts up the victorious and the successful. But God lifts up the broken hearted. I think in U.S. evangelical Christianity, we've become obsessed with triumphalism and victory. And victory and triumph are very much true things as part of the Christian life. We do have victory in Christ and we are triumph and we will experience eternal victory. There's nothing wrong with those things, but when that is all we focus on, and that is all that gets center stage, and that's all that puts in the spotlight, we have this idea that all of a sudden when we experience heartache and brokenness, something is wrong, that God has somehow left the building, and some, nothing could be further from the truth. Because grief and loss are part of Christian experience. The second fact I want to talk to you about is that with God, hope and heartache can coexist. With God, hope and heartache coexist. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn to the right to chapter 12. We're going to see how they coexist. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read through verses 6 through 10. The Apostle Paul again is talking here and he says, For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. See, what Paul is saying is I had these moments where Paul experienced these revelations from God that few people have experienced where God spoke to him and, and he's so close to God and he was uh, so tight and experienced these things that most people don't. And he says, that is real, yes, but there's a heartache that's real that we just talked about as well. And then he goes on to say this, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself or think I'm this great person because of these revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. 
Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in the weaknesses, in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, and the difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, this apostle says, then I am strong. Paul says hope and heartache coexist as part of the Christian life. And God allowed Paul to have this constant reminder of his weakness while he walked all his days on earth. And he begged God to take it away. And God didn't. And there's reams and reams and volumes of volumes of what people speculate this affliction or this what he called thorn in the flesh is. And the truth is we have no idea what it is. Some people think it's a physical condition, a disease or sickness. Some people think it's a pull or temptation to sin that was constantly there. Some people think it's opposition. Some think it's anxiety. The speculations are endless, but we miss the point if all we do is try to figure out what the thorn is. A few things about this thorn for us to remember. First of all, Satan sent it. God allowed it for his glory. Number two, the thorn is temporary. It would be over when Paul died and went to heaven and be with Jesus. Number three, the thorn was humiliating and debilitating. But the biggest thing I want you to see about this thorn is number four, that rather than removing the problem, the thorn, God gave Paul the grace and the strength to live through it. And it wasn't easy. It was difficult and hard. And I don't simplify it or make Paul's pain in that trite. But this heartache continued so that Paul would know what it means to be carried by God through weakness and be made strong because of it. There is hope in the fact that grace was given to Paul to live through this thorn in such a way that he was carried by God and it didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. But many times God allows us to experience heartache in a way so that we can experience him carrying us through it. And while we're going through it, we may not even realize he's doing that. It may not be years. It may not even be till we get to heaven when we look back and we see that even in the midst of that thorn-filled living, God picked us up by his grace and sustained us. We are carried by grace to the glory of God. And it's not fun and it's not easy and it feels awful. And many times it feels like we're all alone But the truth is this, God could not be any more closer to us, even when we don't feel him. And I know that in the depth of my bones because church, our God told us in his word in Psalm 34, 18, that God is close to the brokenhearted. That this God that we know and love and serve and worship here this morning on the first Sunday of Advent is near to the brokenhearted. God comes to the difficult places. Love comes to the difficult places. 
One pastor wrote this. He said, a young friend called me to say that she was admitting herself to the psychiatric hospital in town. And while she was there, I visited her as often as I could. And one of my visits was Good Friday, so I asked if she'd like me to bring communion to her, and she said she would love that, and asked if some of the other patients in the hospital who are Christian could join us. And on that spring afternoon, five or six of us gathered in her room and shared that sacred meal together. I think it was one of the most meaningful communion services I had ever shared. A half dozen strangers, each scarred by heartache, sitting helpless in a locked ward, yet Jesus was there. He was there because he's close to the brokenhearted and he loves his beloved. He was not only among us, but he was there within us. You see, going through mental anguish doesn't change your salvation or the work of God that he did in your heart before him. Even as broken people, we were with one another. We were strengthened by his presence. We were in a way healed. We were nourished. We were washed. We were rejuvenated. All because we were together, broken in the presence of God. As Christians, we experience this co-mingling of heartache and hope while we live on earth, waiting to meet our Savior face to face. And in that moment, it will all be gone. But in the meantime, God meets us in those places. That's a picture of the Christian life. Following Jesus does not mean our broken hearts are immediately healed. It doesn't mean that we go through life without pain. And if you're a Christian and you are here this morning and you are in pain and anguish and you're dealing with any type of emotional or mental anguish, it doesn't mean you did something wrong in the eyes of God. It doesn't mean you're possessed by a demon. It doesn't mean that God has left you. It means you joined the ranks of countless Christ followers who experience things like depression, anxiety, mental and physical anguish, among them the Apostle Paul, among them Elijah, among them Jeremiah, among them David, and among them our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself when he walked on earth. God doesn't always take away the pain in this life. But he promises to meet us in that place and hold us even when we don't feel it. He can carry us. And yes, one day we will have hope that it will all be gone. But in the meantime, he carries us through. The Apostle Paul said this, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, there's this pain that's hurting us. Our inner person is being renewed day by day, even when we don't feel it. For our momentary light affliction, he's not making light of deep earthly pain. What he's saying is 
This is hopeful because even though it hurts now, compared to the relief and the joy that's coming, we can call it a momentary light affliction that's producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. So what's the strategy? We do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen, and we let God carry us through to that. So what is the church's response to those being in pain? We come alongside and we be present. There's power in presence. There's been people who've gone through terrible, terrible heartache in their life. And I've seen Christians say, I'll pray for them, but I have no idea what to do. What you do is you get with that person and you just sit there and be present. There's a power in presence. You don't have to say, you're not going to fix it. That person doesn't want you to fix it. You're not supposed to fix it. That's their pain, their grief. God's carrying them through that. It's disrespectful for you to pick up their pain and try to carry it or make it go away. That's not the role. The role is just to be present and be there. I've gone through as a pastor and a chaplain in this town and sat with people in some of those most horrific experiences of their life. And let me tell you, it's better you don't say anything, but just be there so they're not alone. Just be there and carry them through it. There's a difference between curing and healing. And many times as a church, we approach anguish of mental and emotional things is we have to cure them and fix them and make them better. You can't fix it. That's not the role. There's a medical care, and medical care, the goal is cure. There's nothing wrong with that. We want that. When we have disease, we want to be cured. That's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But there's a spiritual soul care as Christians that doesn't equal cure. That's not the goal. The spiritual soul care as Christians is that you can experience pieces of healing in the midst of very, very hard times because when we're together and present, God's presence is among us. And the goal may not be curing all that's going on. The goal is to experience the presence of God in the midst of it, and it brings a healing. It doesn't mean it'll all go away, but there's a respite in the pain because we're together in the presence. That's what the church is called to do with people who are brokenhearted. Jesus in his descriptions of the sheep and the goats where he's saying, here are the true Christians, here are the false Christians. When he paints that picture, one of the things he paints is for those who are truly Christian that they are in the midst and presence with people who are suffering. And they don't have all the answers. They don't fix it. They don't take it away. But they're in the presence of that because there's power in the presence I remember being on chaplain calls. It took me forever to get this because we're obsessed with we have to do something and we have to fix it and we have to make it better, but nothing, you can't fix certain things. And it took me a long time to realize that. And I remember as a chaplain for the city and the police department, I was on a horrific call and I stood there and all I did was stand with this person who was a victim and I hardly said a word. I just sat there. And people said, Oh, thank you that you were there. It was so great that you were there. It was so, you know what? I did nothing but just stand there. And I say that to you because I see the church doesn't know how to handle these things sometimes. And they think, I got to try to fix it and make it. You just have to be there. 
And don't let your trying to fix it and how to do that prevent you from going. And just be present. And sometimes you can be present in a text. Sometimes you can be present in a smile. Sometimes you can be present in just a hug and say, you know, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. I have no idea what to say. But I'm just here. Wouldn't it be amazing if Crossview Church became known as the place that really, really cares for the brokenhearted? Wouldn't it be amazing if people said, that church, that place, man, do they care for people. Our call is not to fix. Our call is not to cure. Our call is to be present. So how do we meet God in the difficult places? We began this year with a series on biblical lament where we said we hurt but we don't know how to hurt or how to deal with hurt. And we did a four-week series on this thing called biblical lament where we see how God teaches us as human beings how to deal with pain in our life. And my hope wasn't that that was just a series that we check the box and say, yeah, done, but that Crossview Church would be a place where that is how we live, that biblical lament and dealing with our pain in a godly way would be a way of life for us at Crossview Church. And so some of you may need to go back and review that. I'm going to give you the flyover version of how God calls us to deal with pain. These four words, turn. We turn to God. And we don't turn to him and pretend like our pain isn't there or whitewashed with fancy good verses out of context. We turn and we give him our complaint. We say, God, this is killing me. This hurts. This is full. I don't know if I'm going to get past this. And then we ask him for his help. And then we choose to trust him. And we see this process all throughout Scripture. We see that this is how the people of God handled their pain. It was this process of turning to God. It was a process of not judging the pain and and pretending it isn't there, but complaining about it and giving it to him and saying, do you see how bad this hurts? Then there was a process of asking. And then once you pour all that out, it's not that the pain all goes away, but just in the process, a trust is built in the midst of it. Psalm 13 is a classic example of this. David turns and says, he turns to God. Then he complains, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? People say, oh, he's being dramatic. He's hurting. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious thoughts within me, agony in my mind every day? Have you been there? How long will my enemy dominate me? Complaint. Then he turns in verse 3 to ask, Consider me and answer me, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. Give me relief. Then my enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice that I'm shaken. He's asking. And then in verse 5 and 6, to finish this off, he goes into trust. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance, whether you take away the pain or not. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Turn, complaint, ask, trust. This is how the gospel gets into difficult places. This is how the gospel gets into pain. And even in the midst of pain, 
God's presence is among us. What a better way to celebrate Jesus coming to earth, entering into humanity with all the pain and the suffering of it than to take communion together as a church family. What an amazing way to do that. So I want you to prepare your hearts for communion now. As we move into this time, I want us to remember that Jesus came to earth and he could have, God could have saved humanity several different ways, but he chose to become one of us. He chose to enter the darkness. He chose to enter the pain. He chose to enter not to be stainless from it, but to be affected by it, yet without sin. Take some time now and to prepare your heart for communion, and maybe you just need to focus on that, that God is in the midst of pain. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess. Maybe there's something, of a truth you need to affirm in your mind before God. Whatever it is, just take some time now in the moments before communion and be with God. It's fascinating that on the, when Paul was writing about what Jesus did to model communion, he chose to say that and open this time up that the church to the ages would look to, he chose to remind us that it was on the night when our Lord Jesus was betrayed. He even brought about this communion thing through a heart that was broken over betrayal. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that the gift of Jesus does not say, stay sanitized and only go to places that were made right by human strength. But the gift of Jesus goes to the imperfections. The gift of Jesus goes to the guilty. The gift of Jesus goes to those who regret. 
The gift of Jesus goes to those who are in brokenheartedness. The gift of Jesus goes to those who are in anguish because that's your heart. God, let us know your heart this Advent season. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would come and break through all the stuff inside of us that we have that stiff arm the truth of who you are. And afresh will you show us your heart that we may know you and in you find healing and life. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.